go There's nothing left to choose And here we go There's nothing left to Clap for that. So if you weren't here last week, we um, had 18 people that said they wanted to be baptized, and we just felt like the Lord was putting on our heart to open up the tank and make it available to everybody. So Meg and I went shopping, and we bought a whole bunch of shorts, and we used our leftover I Will shirts, and we ended up baptizing 63 people. So It was a great Sunday. Um, I had so much fun um, running in the back. People were crying in the hallways, and then I'd come out here, and you guys are crying in your seats, and then it was just, it was a cry fest, which was a great thing. That's just a sign that the Spirit's with Sometimes you guys come down to me um, after the service, and you say, uh, I don't know why, but I've just been crying throughout the whole service. I just want to encourage you to embrace that. A lot of times when the Spirit comes on us, it just gives us a gift of tears, and we don't have to figure it out. Just embrace it. Enjoy it, but uh, last Sunday was a great Sunday, and if you weren't here, uh, I'm sorry, you missed it, uh, but I also just want to encourage you that it's not too late for you to be baptized. We do it again in October. Um, maybe you were here and you felt the nudge, but you just couldn't get up the courage, but now you're feeling like, man, I really wished I had. You still can. Maybe you were here and you didn't. somebody from your family wasn't here and you didn't feel like you should do it. I just want to encourage you to still uh, take that step of faith and just come down here. So right after the service... Uh, Norflet or Chris or somebody will meet you right here and they'll have everything you need to get baptized. And let me just say, if part of the reason you haven't done it is because you don't want to stand uh, in front of the mic and give a testimony, uh, that's not a requirement. We love it if people do that, but if you just say, look, I don't want to talk uh, in front of people, then we'll just let people know who you are and, and why you want to be baptized and we'll still go through that incredible uh, invitation that God has for us in baptism. So, all you got to do is meet us down here after the service. We'll take care of it. Hey, this morning we're continuing the journey through the book of Luke, a series that we've called Absolute. The idea here is that the gospel of Luke was written for the express purpose of the reader to be sure of the things that they believe. I'm writing you this gospel so that you can be sure of the things that you believe. It's a way for us to study and to be more resolute in understanding everything we, we believe. And the, the fact of the matter is... We believe there really is an absolute truth, that truth is not relative. There really is only one way to heaven, that all roads don't lead to heaven. I know that's not politically correct, but that's what we believe the word of God says. We believe there's absolute truth, and we believe truth can be found in the person of Jesus, who said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And that's what we're learning, and that's what we're teaching, and that's what you're going to find as we travel through this incredible gospel called Luke. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 25, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. I just want to remind you, encourage you to check in on Facebook or whatever social media you use, but I also want to remind you, uh, if it's okay, to silence your phone. Uh, we've kind of created a little monster here when I keep saying, take out your phones, use your phones. Um, if you don't put them on privacy or at least silence the ring, it can be pretty distracting. So if you do that, that would be great. Now, this morning I have asked um, our very own Jessica Coleman, who is the wife of Pastor Gerald, who we just hired, our 1040 pastor, who we're so excited about having him here on staff. But I've asked his wife to come up and read our passage for us today. So would you welcome Jessica to the stage? Yeah. 
Luke 25, 10, chapter 10, 25 through 42. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Thank you. You can clap. Let me pray. So Lord, we just um, recognize this morning that without you, we can do nothing. Such a spirit of celebration in this place today and last week and just we are so grateful for the way your spirit is moving in us and through us as a church, and we recognize it is you and not us. That I can't teach without you, that we can't comprehend the mysteries of your word without you. Lord, we just confess our utter dependence on you and thank you that you are moving in our presence and ask this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our souls to what you have for us through the singing, through the teaching, whatever it is, Lord, would you just do that good work in us. Lord, we pray this morning, we prayed every Sunday, that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. Lord, would you do that transformation that only you can do? Help us to be better citizens, better husbands, better wives, better friends. Help us to be better followers of Jesus. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning 
is I'm going to do my best to take what is typically two very unrelated stories and tie them together. So we have a story of this compassionate Samaritan, and then we have a story of two sisters and their experience of having Jesus come stay at their house. And in first glance, these stories seem pretty different. And a matter of fact, they're usually taught very differently. But what I'm going to do this morning is try to tie them together. The best way to do that is just to start with the first story and and help us to understand what's going on. So look at verse 25. It says, a a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test. Now, this is a lawyer, not as we know a lawyer. It's not someone who practiced law like like somebody here would practice law. This is probably a a Pharisee or a Sadducee. This is someone who's trained in the the ways of Scripture. He's trained in, in theological law, and his job was to be called in at times. Whenever somebody made a mistake or somebody was doing something wrong, he would be the expert that would help to interpret how the law says that person should be treated. And it's pretty good odds that he was sent by the leadership in Jerusalem to spy on Jesus or to watch Jesus and to hopefully catch Jesus doing something wrong, saying something wrong, uh, projecting something that would allow them them to bring prosecution against him. He was sent to be a spy. He was sent to find fault in Jesus' teaching. So this lawyer, this expert in Jewish law, and Jesus begin this dialogue. And the dialogue is centered around one particular question. And the question is, what must we do to inherit eternal life? That's the topic of conversation. And what happens is he asks the question, and then Jesus does this. If you pay attention to the Gospels, often Jesus just takes the question and turns it back around and, and asks you a question. You'll find this even in your own devotional life. You'll be asking the Lord for something, and he'll ask you to ponder something else. And the question gets you to the answer. But he asks the lawyer, what do you say? And the lawyer then quotes what is commonly known as the great commandment. Last week, we looked at the great commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Remember that? Well, this week, we're looking at the great commandment. And the the Jewish people would have known this. This would have been a common thing that they would have talked about. They would have taught it to their children. But he says in verse 27, the lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. In other words, you should love God with everything that you have, right? This is all-inclusive, heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A simple summary of the great commandment is love God and love others. And the truth is, if we as a people, if we as a church, if, as I as a pastor, if, as you as an individual, if you could live out the great commandment, everything else in your life would fall into place. You want to know the secret to walking with God? Love God and love others. You want to know the secret to living like Jesus? Love God and love others. You want to know the secret of being a great spouse? Love God and love your wife or love your husband. You want to know the secret of being a great parent? Love God and love your children. A great coworker? Love God and love your boss, even when it's hard, and sometimes it is. Just ask the people that work here, right? Right? If you want to know the secret of, of walking this out, it's to love God and love people. It is the great commandment. But there is an order, a prescribed order to this commandment. It starts with loving God. It has to start with loving God. We love God, we experience the love of God, and it's that experience of the love of God that allows this transformation to take place in us and through us that allows us then to love others. You can't do one without the other. 
when you experience God's mercy in your life and you understand how much mercy God has extended to you, you become merciful towards other people. When you start to understand the grace that God has given you and how God has overlooked your shortcomings, you become more gracious with other people. There is this picture of, of experience the love of God and that experience being what allows you to love others. It has to happen in this order. Love God and then love others. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This passage in 1 John is making it clear that our capacity to love others is rooted in our connection and our understanding and our experience of the love of God in our lives. And that's made possible through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. It's imperative that we know God. So it's not enough just to know the great commandment. It has to be part of our DNA. It has to be birthed out of this transformational experience that we've had with God. How we live out the great commandment is a direct reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of our experience with the living God. So Jesus knows. He knows all of this, and he, he knows that this expert in the law, this religious fellow, really didn't have much of an idea of what he was even saying. He got the answer right on one level, but he probably wasn't getting it right on all levels. Actually, we know he wasn't. So in verse 28, Jesus just very politely says to him, well, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And that would have been a good place for it to end, but it says that the the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he, he asked the question, well then, who is my neighbor? And he asked the question because he assumes he has already lived out the great commandment. Because in the ancient culture, in the Jewish tradition, when they would quote this, it really only applied to their fellow Jews. That they were to love their neighbor, they defined neighbor as the people who were within their tribe, the people who were literally a part of the chosen people. Excuse me. <clears throat> so he asks the question, what must I do, right? And, and Jesus answers the question, and, or the lawyer answers the question, and Jesus says, you've answered correctly, now go and do this. Do this and you will have life. What's the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I have a question for you. And I want you to sit with the question for a minute. I want you, don't want you to answer it flippantly. I really want you to ask yourself how you, how, what you really want. Do you want eternal life? Let your heart answer the question. Do you really want eternal life? The thing we have to figure out here is that eternal life is not just a promise for after we die, right? It's not just this, this thing, this insurance policy that we get. As a matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus says what? He says, this is eternal life, that you know me and you know the Father that sent me, that we have the opportunity to experience eternal life right now, today, and in eternity, Eternal life is knowing and growing in the love of the Father, this, this love that's made possible through the Son, that's, that's made known to us through the Holy Spirit. 
Again, the lawyer gets it right on one level, but it's so much more. He thinks it's just about loving the Jews. So to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? It's really a rhetorical question. He thinks he knows the answer, but Jesus says, you don't really know what you're asking, so let me tell you a story. And Jesus does something that's pretty masterful here. He, he's, he, he, he actually makes the enemy, he actually makes the person who would be least likely to be the hero, the hero of the story. He makes the person who probably should be the hero, the person in the most, most need. So a Jewish man is traveling, most likely a Jew would travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. So it's a Jewish man that's on the road. It's a Jewish man who's put in the situation of having the most need. And it's a Samaritan, the hated Samaritans who becomes the hero of the story. Jewish teachers of this day don't tell stories where Levites and priests are the bad guys and Samaritans are the hero. Remember who the Samaritans are. We've talked about this as we've taught through Luke. Remember the Samaritans are that group of people that the pagan king took and transplanted into the territory of Israel and gave them this occupied area and gave them the homes of the people that had built them. And, and these people lived there and they'd taken just a little bit of the Old Testament and kind of created their own religion around the first five books of the Old Testament. And they, that was their, their faith. And it was kind of like being Jewish, but it wasn't really being Jewish. And there was so much hatred in both ways. Samaritans hated Jews, Jews hated Samaritan. It was just embroiled with racial prejudice and hatred. Jesus does something amazing here. He makes the enemy the hero. I've often asked myself, if Jesus were telling the story to me, who would he choose to be the hero? If Jesus was telling the story to you, who would he choose to be the hero? He would look into your heart and your soul and he would see your greatest prejudices and he would make that person the hero of the story. Maybe it would be a Syrian refugee. Maybe it would just be a Muslim person. Maybe it would be a gay person. Maybe it would be a young boy of color. But no doubt Jesus would look at our hearts and he would pull out our deepest prejudice and he would make that person the hero of the story. And by telling the story in this way, Jesus forces the Jewish lawyer to give some type of voice to the fact that it's the Samaritan that's the hero. Whenever I read this, I have this vision in my mind of the the lawyer sort of spitting and sputtering, trying to admit that it's the Samaritan that's the hero. Have you ever watched TV or you watch a movie where they always have some, it's always a guy, and I don't know why this is, but the guy's trying to say he's sorry, but he can't actually say he's sorry, or maybe he's trying to say he's wrong. Why is it always a guy? We need to talk about that later. But anyway, <laughs> some guy is like, and he, right, you've seen this, right? And he's like, I was woo, 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 but he can't say wrong, or I'm sus, 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 can't say sorry. Like, I, I picture it this way for this Samaritan, or this uh, lawyer guy. He's trying to, to admit that the Samaritan's the hero, but in the end, he actually never really says the Samaritan. If you look at the text, what does it say? It says that he asked him which one was a neighbor, and in verse 37, it says, it was the one that showed mercy. He's not going to say Samaritan, because... That would give voice to his deepest prejudice. So before we move to Mary and Martha, I just want us to glean a little bit from this story, make some application. Because at the end of this 
story, Jesus says these words to the lawyer, and in fact, he's saying them to you and I. In verse 37, it says, And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. We are commanded in this story to be like the good Samaritan, to do likewise to others like the good Samaritan did in this story. We are called to see the broken people around us. We are called to see injustice. We are called to see people that are hurting, and we are called to step into that injustice and do justice. The scriptures tell us that both the priest and the Levite saw the man. They saw him, but they passed by on the other side. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do this a lot. We see pain and we say to ourselves, I do not want to see that pain. And so we don't make eye contact or we just turn our heads and pass by on the other side because we really don't want to deal with the pain that comes with actually seeing the injustice up close. So we look at the broken foster care system. We say, I don't want to know about those kids that are being abused and those kids that are just getting caught up in a broken system and their lives are in shambles. We go to India and we walk through the brothel and you know that there are young girls, 10, 11, and 12, inside of those brothels that are being trafficked. Look, it wrecks you. It tears you up and you say to yourself, I don't wanna see this. I don't wanna know it exists. I don't wanna know. I don't want to have this in my mind. I don't wanna think about this. Why do we do that? Because it hurts and it's hard to see. And the scriptures tell, no, I need you not to walk on the other side. I need you to see the injustice because when we see the injustice, we are moved with godly compassion to step into the injustice and do something about it like the Good Samaritan did. So if we step back and we look at the education system in Metro Detroit and we see the gap between what a kid in Detroit gets and what a kid in the suburbs gets, it ought to wreck us. We ought to say there ought to be something that we can do to bridge this gap to help. And in fact, there is. What if we really got behind sore tutoring? What if we really taught every third grader in Detroit to teach at or above grade level how it would change the playing field of the education system? But we have to see the injustice. We partner with people like Courage Homes who are pulling those girls out of the brothels and they're giving them a safe place to heal and to understand the love of God and to have a normal healed life. We have a great partner in Providence Home who's, who's doing a great job with these young girls who are caught up in this broken foster care system and the only way that we are going to partner with them is if we really see the injustice and are willing to get our hands dirty and step into it. We have to stop long enough to allow the the scene to unfold in front of us and to see just how bad it really is. This is about being willing to engage, to see, to allow injustice to wreck us, and then listening to what the Spirit of God would say to you. How does God want you to step into that injustice? What does God want you to do? This is really a picture of learning to hear and obey. Something worth noting in this story is Jesus is giving us the definition, or if you will, a visual picture of what it means to be a neighbor. He says, which one of these three was a neighbor? And which one provided the neighborly love? And it was the only one that didn't even live in the vicinity. We show our neighborly love by the way we move towards the broken and the hurting in our lives. If we wish to be neighbors as a church, 
We're going to have to step into the injustice. We're actually going to have to be pretty busy doing something. If you read the parable and you listen to all of the things that the good Samaritan, he goes to the man. In other words, he doesn't walk by any other side. He bandages the man. He pours oil on the man's head. He puts the man on his donkey. He carries him to the inn. He takes care of him. He leaves money for his care. He instructs the innkeeper how to take care of him. And he commits to coming back and taking care of him again. He was heading somewhere, but he was willing to be inconvenienced enough to take care of the man. And we need to do the same thing. We need to be fully engaged if we're going to be neighbors to our community. So, we have a little bit of understanding of the Good Samaritan. Powerful story of engaging. And then we have this story right afterwards about not engaging. And if you've ever listened to these two stories preached, all of a sudden there's do, 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 and then there's this next sermon about stop doing and just be. Why would Luke put these two stories next to each other? Look at verse 38 so that we have an understanding of the next story. It says, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed her into his house. And uh, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do (laughs) do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Story's pretty straightforward, right? Jesus comes into town. Mary and Martha invite him over. Martha gets all worked up. She's like working on the pot roast. She's got to make sure that it's perfect temperature. They didn't really have pot roasts, I know. She's sweeping. She's vacuuming. She's dusting. She's putting chairs out. She's cleaning the backyard. She's doing whatever she's doing. She's doing a lot of it, right? And she's, she's going crazy, and she's trying to get ready. So everything's perfect for when Jesus comes. And then they got Mary, who's just sort of chilling at Jesus' feet, Right? And Martha says, Lord, Lord, we're going to do something about this. And I love this when Jesus answers, he says her name twice, just so you know, if Jesus ever says your name twice, it's not a good thing, just like your mom, Doug, 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 right? He says, Martha, Mary has chosen a good portion. That's what the ESV says. Maybe you got an NIV, it says, Mary has chosen what is better. Maybe you have a translation that says, Mary has chosen the good part. In other words, Mary has chosen better than Martha. So we asked this morning, why did Luke place the story of doing and engaging beside a story of not doing? The clue is found in verse 40, where it says, Martha was distracted with much serving. The word distracted there could also be called trouble. It's the same word sometimes translated both ways. Troubled with much serving. There's missing alignment of priority here. The task has become more important than the purpose of the task. She was preparing to be with Jesus, but she was so busy preparing, she failed to actually be with Jesus. She was so busy doing things for Jesus that she missed the opportunity to be with Jesus. When I first left the corporate world and we started Eagle Children's Charities, I had two very distinct uh, experiences that really have shaped my ministry in a powerful way. We had started things out and we decided that we were going to launch a soccer league and we were formerly a nonprofit organization now and so we got ready and we, we, we started the first day of soccer and we literally had hundreds of kids show up. It was, it was incredible. There were lots of parents there, lots of people from the church showed up. It just By all appearances, it was just a great Saturday to launch this thing called Eagle Sports Soccer. 
And people were coming up to me and they were patting me on the back and they were like, this is great, this is amazing. And something was empty inside of me because you see, I had kind of figured out as we got closer and closer to this that I'd really done it all in my own strength. That I had heard the Lord say, look, I want you to do this. And then I said, thank you, that's really nice, I appreciate it. And then I went and did it. I had become very distracted with the busyness of serving and God is gracious and God is good and and he's bigger than my foibles and Eagle Sports survived it. But what I knew, knew to be true is I really hadn't done this with Jesus. I'd done it for Jesus. And so everything was kind of empty for me. About three weeks after that, we were just ending our young men's basketball league. We used to have a gym here and we had about 100 young men in their early, late teens, early 20s that were playing basketball. It was just, it was a wild, wild thing to do. We, we loved it, but we decided at the end we were going to have a big dinner. And I decided, well, I didn't decide. I prayed, and I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to cook them all a steak, and I want you to bring in an outside speaker to share the gospel with them. And So I did all of that, and we bought 100 steaks, ribeyes. I remember buying them. I remember being just so thankful to God that we had the money to buy them and praying through, God, would you just bless these steaks? Would you just make this like such a blessing to these guys? Would you just pour out your spirit in this place? Would you just so we bring in this outside speaker to share the gospel? And I can't remember for sure, but I think three guys showed up. 100 steaks, three guys. They were very full when they left. But the point being, (laughs) the point being, it seemed like a total failure. And this time, everybody was talking to me like my best friend had died. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. But somehow it was okay. I think God was trying to teach me something. That it's really not about the numbers. It's about whether or not I'm doing ministry with him or am I doing ministry for him. Somehow I was okay with the fact that they didn't show up. Now, I I wish they had. I wish we'd had a chance to share the gospel. And in time, we we did with many of them. But but the point being, I had gotten so distracted by serving in one. And God was just trying to teach me it's not about the numbers. It's about doing ministry with him. Is it possible that Martha, that the priest, that the Levite, were so busy trying to impress God that they missed the opportunity to be with God. Is it possible that the busyness that you are experiencing in your religious activities and in your religious serving is distracting you from effectively loving God and loving others? So here's where we get ourselves in trouble. Maria, can I get you to come up on stage for a moment? She said no. Everybody welcome Roia to the stage. You don't mind just having a seat right here? She is playing the part of Jesus today. The part of Jesus will be played by Rory Epps today. So all of your kids, pay extra attention to mom. She's Jesus today, right? Here's where we get ourselves in trouble. We see these two stories as an either or story. We think that we can either be serving or we can be sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the fact is, These stories are put together because they're meant to be put together. That we are called to sit at the feet of Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like quiet time in the morning. It looks like going to church on Sunday. It looks like stopping and just asking the Lord, what do you have for me in this? It's that pausing throughout your day. It's it's all of those things. Anytime, like a lot of you have a quiet place in your house, that place where you do devotions, that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's being in the word of God and letting God speak to you. 
And we think, okay, well, I'm gonna do that, and, and so I'm not gonna serve as much. And here's what I want you to know. When you sit at the feet of Jesus and you experience the love of God, that, that very experience is going to compel you and God is going to command you to do something. He's going to breathe a passion in you. He's going to awaken something in you and you are going to be moved to do something. But here's the deal. In our minds and in our spirits, we often get up and say, thanks, that was really cool. I'm really glad you spoke to me. And then we go and we do. And in our minds, we leave Jesus in the chair. Now, I know Jesus isn't literally in the chair. Theologically speaking, he's still with you, but somehow we forget to bring him along. And, and what he's really asking from us is to sit at his feet and to allow the love of God to change us and to breathe ministry into us. But when we go, you can take my hand, we go together and we stay connected through ministry and we do all that God wants us to do. Bless you. Let's thank Jesus. Excellent job. How do we do that? How do we stay connected? It's not as complicated as we think it is. Part of it is just even changing our mindset and being willing to ask the Lord in every little thing, what do you have for me? What do you want me to, how do you want me to respond in this conversation? And you're sitting with somebody and you, you know that you need to say something. Don't just say it. Say, Lord, help me to have the right words. Help me to, to be tuned into your spirit. It's, it's about walking in a, in a spirit sort of way. There's a great book out there. It's just a little tiny book, Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence talks about experiencing God while doing dishes. Look, he didn't leave him in the chair. He brings Jesus along and he's experiencing Jesus in everything that he does. The reason these two stories are together is because Martha has gone off and done ministry without Jesus when he, she had an opportunity to be with Jesus. Think about this. Both Martha and the Good Samaritan had a chance to experience the very presence of God. Martha, it's obvious, right? She could have just sat at Jesus' feet. The Good Samaritan, in the very act of serving, experiences God. What did Jesus say in these scriptures? He says, when you clothed me, right? When you fed me, when you served the least of these, you actually served me. Mother Teresa talks about helping the dying in Calcutta and how she experienced Jesus in the face and in the bodies and in the wounds of the people that she would minister to. There is a theological truth that when we step into injustice, when we serve people in need, that we experience Jesus in that moment. They are not two different things. It is the very same thing. One of the ways we sit at Jesus' feet is by serving people in need. I think for some people, you're still thinking about the question, do you want eternal life? Some of you are just thinking, I just want to know Jesus. I don't know about all this other stuff you're talking about, Doug. I just, I just need Jesus. And I just want to tell you, today, you can have him. That there is an invitation this morning for you to surrender and to receive the love of God, to sit at Jesus' feet. For you just to pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I have made mistakes in my life. And I am sorry for those mistakes and I just ask that you would forgive me. 
You would forgive me for my sins and that you would be Lord and Savior of my life. It's really that easy to begin to experience the love of God that transforms your very character. For some of you, you knew the minute that I walked away from the chair, that's you. You heard from Jesus. You've had an experience with Jesus, but you've long since just wandered off and have been doing it on your own. And my encouragement to you is to come back to sit at the feet of Jesus, to say, Lord, I want you to be in every decision I make, every buying decision, every moving decision, every working decision. Would you just be in my life in every way, every serving opportunity I want to experience you? Make that your prayer this morning. So Lord, I just ask that you would help us to weave these two stories together, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. That we would learn to be people of spirit, walking through the everyday trials of life, experiencing you. And we would learn to sit at your feet throughout the day. And that as sitting at your feet, we would experience your love more and more. Help us to grow in the knowledge of your love. We thank you for just who you are. Thank you for the incredible invitation to walk with you, to be relational with you, that as real as it was that I was holding Roe's hand, that you hold our hand, that you walk with us. Thank you for that promise. So powerful. So Lord, I just ask that you would go with us today. Bless us this morning. Help us to be people who step into injustice and make a difference in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. As you leave this morning, they're gonna give you one of these Grocery bags, this is how we fill our pantry. We have 75, 85, sometimes more families that come uh, on Saturdays, so this is the way we fill it up. So just bring the bag back next week. There's a list of things that you can bring. Thank you. Have a great Sunday, and go Lions. I look into the face of my enemy. I see my